How's everyone doing today? Doing good? Okay. Lively bunch. I don't know if it's because we have the teenagers in here with us or what, but it is a, a rowdy crowd today. It's going to be good. Um, so let's get started. I hope to, to share something with you today that connects with you and inspires you to go all in and fully trust in the Lord. Because we are in a war. We're in a fight, okay? One of the words coming out of Jubilee was to trust and obey because we're in a fight. And this fight is not just what you see on the surface. It's not just a natural fight. It's not just a political fight. The fight that we're engaged in, we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle, we fight against the spiritual uh, forces of darkness, of evil. And that may sound a little heavy, okay? It's because it is heavy, all right? So we're in a fight, but the good news is, is that the battle isn't ours, it's the Lord's. But we do have a part to play in it, okay? We don't just get to sit back and say, God, this is your fight, your problem. Let us know when it's solved. He said, no, this is, I'm taking ownership of this. It's, the victory is gonna be mine, but it's gonna happen through my people, through you. You have a part to play in it. And our part is to simply trust and obey fully. Not partially, but fully. There's a story of a military leader from the eighth century who landed upon the shores of Spain. And whenever they landed on the shores, they got out on the beach. He ordered his troops to burn all of the boats that they had just arrived on. And after they did this, uh, he gathered his troops together and he said, men, Behind you is the sea, before you is the enemy. All you have is your sword and your courage. See, in burning the boats, he incinerated their only backup plan. And they had no other option but to throw everything they had into the fight. The title of the message that I wanna share with you today is Burn the Boat. Burn the Boat. Go all in and fully trust God. That God not just be your last resort, but Him be your only option. To live your life in such a way that if God doesn't come through for you, you are through to not hedge your bet on God, to not have a backup plan, but to go all in. Have you ever been in a place, in a situation that if God doesn't come through for you, you're toast? That there's no other, there's no other option. Either, either God's gonna come through for me right here or I, I'm lost. I don't know what, what I'm gonna do. I think we... Many of us have been in these moments where it's like that. But when Jesus calls us to follow him, it's actually supposed to be not just a moment every now and then, but it should be every day. Every day that we live in such a way that we're completely dependent, 
completely uh, relying on God to come through for us. And what happens whenever you burn the boat? You have, you cannot go back. There is no other option. You're all in. And it creates in you a desperation. And we've seen what God can do with a group of desperate people. Even just a handful. God can take a handful of desperate people that have gone all in, that have left everything, and he can turn the world upside down. Imagine what he can do. He's done it with 12. Imagine what he can do with 200, 300. If, if this place, this house, everyone was fully committed, all in, we've burned the boat, and every day, every day, we're following God with everything that we have. What would happen? I want to share, uh, want to share a story from scripture of someone who burned the boat. And pretty much, I mean, you can flip the page and most likely land on a page in the Bible where it's gonna be talking about someone who burned the boat. Uh, but the story we're gonna be looking at today is the life of Peter. The life of Peter, who is one of Jesus's followers. And we're gonna start in Luke chapter five. So this is the scene before I read. Uh, Jesus started teaching to a crowd and the crowd started growing. And so Jesus needed uh, a boat to get in to, to create some distance and then use the water as kind of a natural amphitheater so that he could communicate. Um, and so he looks, there are a couple boats. He asks one of the boat owners if, if he can use his boat to teach out of. And this boat owner is gonna be the, the person who we're looking at today. And that is Peter. So Jesus asks him if he can use his boat. Peter says, yes, and he continues teaching. We're gonna pick it up in chapter five, verse four. Uh, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon is, is Peter. Uh, at one point in Peter's story, his name changes from Simon to Peter. Right now it's still Simon. So he said to Simon, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Okay, so here we have Simon, who has, or Peter, who has fished all night, caught nothing. And now mind you, this is not just a recreational thing for Peter. Okay, this is his, his job. He is a professional fisherman. His livelihood depends on him being able to catch fish or not. So he's, he's probably pretty good at it. And now Peter, I could, I could very easily see him, what's running through his mind is as Jesus says, hey, why don't you go put out your nets into the, to the deep? Just try it one more time. I can very easily picture him thinking, okay, carpenter man. Like, I don't know if you know this, but this is my job, okay? This is what I do. You are a teacher, okay? You teach, you work on the wood. You don't see me coming into your wood shop and telling how to use your equipment, do you? Um, so just let me do my fishing thing. Uh, I think sometimes we do that with Jesus. 
Jesus, I'm in control here. I know what's going on. Hey, you don't know what it's like living in America in the 21st century. Uh, Jesus is just patient with us. Uh, but he goes on and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. So master is Luke's version of teacher. Uh, and then Peter says this, but at your word, I will let down my nets. At your word, as I was praying for this message this weekend, um, felt the Lord highlighting this to me and in, in wanting to encourage you that some of you have tried something time and time again, but you have tried it your way. Uh, maybe it's a particular business venture or maybe it, it's something that, that's different for you, but uh, felt encouraged to share this, that you have tried over and over and over to do something and time and time again, you've come up empty handed and you're wanting to throw in the towel and give up. But see, this whole time you've been trying to do it your way. And the Lord is asking you, inviting you to trust his word and to go out and try one more time. And your response can either be, listen, carpenter man, I've fished all night. I've tried that before and I don't wanna get disappointed again. Or your response can be at your word, at your word. And that's something you see time and time again with people who burn the boats, who go all in and fully trust God is they don't have all the proof in the world. They have a word. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham left everything on only a promise. Will you go all in and fully trust him? And so Peter says, I'll go, at your word, I'll go out, I'll let my nets down. So he goes out into the deep, he lets down his nets and sure enough, boat starts filling up with fish. So much so that they couldn't haul it in themselves. And so they have to holler at their business partners who were in the area. And they come over and they start helping them uh, bring in all these fish. And at this point, Peter falls before Jesus, said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. Jesus has gone from just being, Peter has gone from just addressing Peter as a teacher to now addressing Jesus is Lord. And he said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. That term for them would have been a term used for those who were on the outside of the religious circles of the day. I'm, I'm not a holy man, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. I'm, I'm on the outside. I'm excluded because of my sin, my open sin. And see what Peter doesn't realize is that this confession, this humbling moment for him and his confession of him being, uh, him being a sinner and unqualified is actually the very thing that qualifies him for the service of Jesus. His humility, Jesus looks at that and it's actually his humility and his getting low that acts as the elevator, what brings him up. And Jesus looks at that and goes, I think I can work with that. I think I can work with that. 
And so falls down and makes that confession before Jesus. And then Jesus says this in verse 10, said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're gonna be catching men. You're no longer gonna be going out and catching live fish to kill them. You're gonna be going out and catching people who are walking in despair, darkness, death, slavery to their sin. And you're gonna bring them to life through what I'm gonna do in you. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything to follow him. They left everything. They had just had this crazy large catch of fish. And again, remember, this is not just a recreational activity for these people. This is their job, their livelihood, their business. And so he's faced with this decision. Are you going to cash in on the greatest catch of your life or are you gonna follow me? Are you gonna go all in? And see, it's, it's one thing to burn the boat whenever your boat's like one of those inflatable life rafts, okay? It's easy to burn the boat when you're at rock bottom and you don't have anything. It's another thing when your boat, the thing that you have spent time working and making to try to navigate the waters of life, it's another thing when your boat's a million dollar yacht. And Jesus asks you to burn the boat, follow him. That's why when Jesus talks about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom, it's not because having money is inherently an evil thing. It's because the nicer your boat is, the more you have to lose, the harder it is for you to make that decision to give everything and bring everything under the submission of the the leadership and the lordship of Jesus. And so Peter and his associates here are faced with this decision. You can go cash in on this great achievement or you can follow me. I think a lot of times people will, will follow Jesus and will, will put down our nets at his word until that success comes. That's why, you know, some people say nothing fails like success because once you succeed, it's easy to start slacking off. It's easy to start thinking that you're, the, you're a big deal and you're the one who, uh, who achieved all of this on your own. Have you ever done that where you're in this desperate moment and you need God to come through for you and he actually does come through for you? And then you don't pursue, you're not as desperate as you were when you were in your time of need. So they, they're faced with this choice. And Jesus offers this invitation. They've fished all night, caught nothing. But at his word, they go out, land this massive catch. And then Jesus extends this invitation. Follow me. And it says they left everything. 
and followed him. It was reading accounts like this, specifically the call of the disciples, that, that led me to the decisions of burning boats in my life. I remember being a, a young 20-something and thinking I knew everything. Have you ever been there? Uh, well, I, I have. And I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew the accomplishments I wanted to achieve. And I had determined that I was the captain of my own soul. That, that when it came to my morality and my post-mortem destination, uh, Jesus, you can be Lord over those. You can tell me what's right, what's wrong, morally, as long as I know where I'm going when I die. Like that's, that's your area of leadership. Uh, let me lead all of the other areas of my life. And it was in reading these, these stories that I realized people who followed Jesus followed him at a cost. And there was this, this period of time in my life it was almost a year long process of God working things in my heart and uprooting these uh, different loves for things that I, I had and uh, helping me burn the boats in my life. And it reached a pinnacle one day, I'm sitting in my office, I was working at a bank and had a lot of favor in, in that career. And I'm sitting there at my desk one day and I'm reflecting on the cost of discipleship. And I realized, I asked myself the question, what has following Jesus cost me? Okay, I'm not saying that you should ask yourself these questions. I'm just telling you my story, okay? I asked myself the question, what has following Jesus cost me? And I didn't write down an answer because honestly, I was embarrassed of how little uh, Jesus, or following Jesus had cost me, although uh, I had followed him for the better part of my life. Again, this is just my story. And sitting there in that office, again, this is a, a long process for me up to this point, but I prayed a prayer and I, I truly meant it. And the prayer was, God, I want the opportunity to follow you at a cost. And I don't want it to be cheap. I want it to be costly. And I prayed that prayer without a hint of fear. Because I knew I, I could fully trust Jesus. And when you trust somebody, you know that you can go through anything with them. When, when you trust somebody, it can bear the weight of any load that you can put on it. I prayed that prayer on a Wednesday. On Friday, sitting in the same office, I get a call from my wife. And she said, hey, I'm gonna tell you something and then I'm just gonna hang up the phone. I'm like, okay. She said, so I just talked to my sister Hannah and Victor Life Academy is in need of a fifth and sixth grade math and science teacher. Click. <laughs> and inst that was not on my radar whatsoever. 
But instantly, I knew this is the answer to that prayer. This is my opportunity to follow Jesus at a cost. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but it's unfortunate, but teachers don't make as much money as bankers, okay? So, but I knew, I knew that I could trust him. And I knew that he was, he was in this and he was working. And so, by the way, this is also two weeks before school started. Uh, I figured since my mom was a teacher, maybe it's a genetic thing. Maybe I can get some of that, uh, that teaching ability anyway. So my wife and I meet with Miss Sue Sheriff and we actually met her in, in the office area that I'm in now. And we sat down and we talked about, you know, what it would look like and all that. So we left that meeting and we, we asked the Lord, God, if this is you, uh, give us a sign or give us signs. If it's not, give us a red flag, okay? Confirm it or give us a check, okay? And so we, we left that meeting, went straight to a store here in Sherman. We're in the store and we're in the checkout line and there's a, uh, like a mom and a son in front of us, not like a mom, literally a mom and a son <laughs> in front of us. And, and they're, they're paying, you know, for their stuff. And the clerk, the cashier said, oh, hey, are these, are these school clothes for you? And the boy said, yeah, I'm starting a new school this year. And the cashier said, oh, that's awesome. What school are you going to? He said, Victory Life Academy. And my wife said, what grade are you gonna be in? He said, sixth grade. He was gonna be one of my students. And over the course of the next few days, the Lord continued to confirm in our hearts uh, this step, this major decision that, that we were gonna take. And we fully trusted him. And he hasn't let us down. Now, I'm not gonna lie. He's continued to provide for us, but there have been times and moments where we didn't understand what was going on. And, and just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean that it's always gonna be easy. There were times that were hard and times that we didn't fully understand, but because we had burned the boat, because we had no more backup option available, it kept us committed through the times that were tough and the times that we didn't understand. The same thing happened with the disciples and Peter in John chapter six, Jesus had just finished giving what's called the bread of life discourse. And he had just finished teaching in the synagogue on some fairly difficult things that were hard to hear. And then when, he, when people said, hey, this is hard to hear, and he went to give an explanation, he made it even harder to hear. And this is when Jesus said that he is the living bread, the bread of life that came down from heaven. And he also said, this is the thing that was really, really hard for people to hear. Uh, he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, okay? Now that we've read the whole story and we have that all here, that makes a little more sense to us. It's not as strange, but if you didn't have that, that knowledge of what he would later say he meant by that, uh, that could be very odd to hear. And what happened as a result of this was people who had followed him started leaving him. Not like, not a trickle, not like a leak in the back door trickle over months, but like in the moment, people just started leaving him. So we pick it up 
in John 6, verse 66. After this, after he had finished that teaching, many of his disciples turned back because he had more disciples than just the 12. Uh, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? Everyone's leaving and he turns to the 12 and he said, what about you? Where are you going? Are you gonna go along with the crowd? Everyone else who's leaving because things just got hard because they don't understand? Are you going with them? Are you still all in? And Peter turns to him and said, where else would we go? To whom would we go? We have nowhere to go. We, are, we burned the boat. Like we, I left my profession. We don't have a place. It's, we are all in. It, we did not hedge our bet with you. We didn't have this plan B in the background that if you turned out to be a fraud, we're okay. See, whenever you burn the boat, when you go all in, when you fully trust God, when times get hard, and when you go through times in your life that you don't understand what's happening, if you've burned the boats, it helps you stay committed through those times and those seasons. When you have nowhere else to go, where Jesus, right or wrong, I'm, I'm in, I'm with you. It helps you get through those times. So what are, what are the boats in your life? What are the parts of your life that you have not given God access to? The parts of your life that you don't yet fully trust God in? Maybe you're like me where there were components or aspects of my life that said, yeah, you know, God, whatever you say in, in these parts of my life, I'm all for. Um, just don't touch these because that's your area, morality. That's your area. But when it, comes to, when it comes to the business, that's, that's my area. When it comes to my relationships, that's my area. You know, maybe your boat looks something like uh, relationships where there's a, a group of friends that you had initially set out to, uh, uh, to be a positive influence in their life. But over time, it's actually had the reverse effect that you see that they have more influence on you than you do on them. Are you willing to burn that boat? Maybe it's with your children. Maybe you think it's better for, for their sake, you can do a better job raising them and maintaining full control than God can. And you say, God, hey, I'm, you're the one who put me in charge over these kids. Let me do my thing. Um, and the other areas of my life you can have, but um, have, you, have you given permission to God 
to even in times when you don't understand what your kids are going through, because uh, we all have those moments, you still trust him fully when it comes to your kids. Or maybe it's your career. Um, maybe it's finances. That for me was, was one of the, the big boats that I had to burn, was I had this, this um, albeit good, just wrong idea that I was the one who was responsible for providing for my family. I'm not. God is. God is the, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Jesus, you are the one who provides for my family. So whether you tell me to go here or there, wherever you tell me to go, that's, that's on you. I trust and I will obey. Now, he, that doesn't mean that I don't work. Uh, you still partner with him. But there's this thing with responsibility that I've, I've learned that sometimes your value for responsibility can be higher than your value for faith. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes what seems to be the responsible thing to do is in fact responsible and you should do it. Sometimes what seems to be the responsible thing to do is actually a lack of faith and you're justifying your lack of faith, your lack of trust in God by saying that it would be not responsible to do. Sometimes what seems to be irresponsible is in fact irresponsible. It's reckless, don't do it. Sometimes what seems to be irresponsible is actually a step of faith. Well, how do you know the difference? Wisdom. You can't Google that, okay? You need wisdom to know how to navigate decisions like that. You need the Holy Spirit, you need wise counsel around you, you need the scriptures to help guide you and advise you in those moments. Maybe for you, the boat looks like pain or brokenness that you think by holding on to this, by holding on to this unforgiveness, you're keeping the person who wronged you from getting off the hook. I've got news for you. The only person that harboring unforgiveness harms is you. So maybe the boat that you're holding on to the thing that you're afraid to let go of, maybe it's shame. Maybe you feel like you have failed God before. And you find yourself back in the boat. Have you ever done that where there's been a moment in your life where you've gone all in on God and then over time you find yourself back in the boat, back in trusting in yourself or other things rather than the Lord, that you are no longer all in and fully trusting God. You're not alone. Peter found himself in the same place. We're gonna go to John chapter 21. Peter found himself back in the boat. After he had left everything and followed Jesus, a few things happened since then. Namely, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was 
in the, the high priest's court during the rest of Jesus. And John, very particular with his words, paints this scene. He said that Peter was standing next to this charcoal fire, standing next to the servants and the guards. And a servant girl comes up to him and says, you're one of his followers. You're with that man. And Peter said, no, 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 no. I don't, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. And he would go on to deny Jesus three times. After that, Jesus is crucified, died, was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And even though he rose again, there's still this sense of this relational tension between Peter and Jesus. Not so much on Jesus's end, but as you can imagine, Peter is probably experiencing quite a built of guilt and shame because he just denied Jesus. Have you ever felt that, that tension with someone before where you know that there is, uh, there's an elephant in the room and until it's addressed, you feel that we're just kind of making small talk kind of thing, uh, but we really know that there's this deeper tension between us um, and so after the resurrection, the disciples are waiting by Jesus's command, they're waiting. And one night, Peter gets up and he said, I'm going fishing, I'm going fishing. I imagine here that this is the result of some nervous energy. A lot's just happened. And he probably has a lot of things going through his mind. Uh, have you ever had a hard time sleeping because of, uh, because of crazy events that are happening or because you have something that's weighing on you or running through your mind and you have a hard time sleeping. That's what I picture happening here. Peter said, I'm going fishing, back to the thing that I know how to do, back to the thing that is familiar to me. So John chapter 21, verse three, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said, We'll go with you. They went out and got in the boat. Not just any boat, not just a boat. They went and got into the boat. So here we have Peter back in what's most likely the boat that he was in when Jesus first called him. And they fished all night and caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, they had toiled, they had worked all through the night. But just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And Jesus, the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children or boys, have you caught any fish? And they answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Sound familiar? We have Peter and his associates fishing all night long, catching nothing, and then someone tells them to try the other side of the boat. For whatever reason, they go with it. So they cast the net on the other side of the boat. And once again, the nets start filling up with fish, and once this happens, John 
who's on the boat, says, it's the Lord. And Peter could not wait for the boat to get to shore. He left his friends to haul in this catch and he just jumped in the water and started swimming back to shore. Because as you can imagine, he so badly, so deeply, so desperately wants to reconcile things with Jesus. He just wants to be close to him again. This is not just a recreational activity. They just caught money, okay? They just had another massive catch. And, G- and Peter apparently has no concern about that. He only wants Jesus. So he jumps into the water, swims up to shore, and this is what he sees. Verse nine, when they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. The last time John mentions a charcoal fire is when Peter is standing next to it, denying that he knows Jesus. Peter's worst moment. And now what's the scene? It's Jesus on the shore with a charcoal fire and fish and bread. And he invites them all to come and have breakfast with him. And again, I would imagine that in this moment, there's this sense of tension that Peter's feeling, that he's so, there's the elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. And after they had finished eating, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, at this point of the story, for the most part, like Peter's name has already changed from Simon to Peter. And here, Jesus said, Simon, son of John. Have you ever been called by your full name? When you get called by your full name, you know whoever it is means business. And that's what we would see Jesus do with with Peter during crucial moments, really important moments of his life. He would call him by his full name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. So here again, we have Peter fishing 
all night long, catching nothing, encounters Jesus. And just like before, Jesus extends this invitation to Peter. Peter, we've been through a lot. We've had our ups, we've had our downs, but I'm not giving up on you. I'm still all in, are you? Will you follow me? Will you go all in again? Will you go all in again? If you would bow your head with me.